As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support for people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode. Gentlemen, do y'all know what episode we are on? We are on episode number 22 of Burn and Return. And we're coming up on Christmas break here. If you're listening way off into the future or something, you know, we're, we're, we're right here. We are less than a week away. We are six days away from Christmas. But you know what? We are still here recording content because there's news that is just banging to go out. And, and let me tell you, if you're worried about, oh, it's winter, how are we going to have agricultural and green, green industry news to continue to talk about? Boys, we have so much to talk about that we can't even get to it in a single show. Like there is that much right now. You have to remember, we are living in the most dynamic time the industry has ever seen. Things are changing on a daily basis. Incredible news is coming out on a daily basis. Strategies are having to change. This is, we are, we are living and writing history with every day that passes. And so uh, you do not have to worry about us running out of content as we move to the winter. If anything, we are absolute rocking and rolling full steam of head that being said listen i we we plug the patreon a lot but we just had one of the funniest pre-shows i think i think we may have ever had um we were talking about sounding and not instruments um we were doing uh uh impersonations um, we were have we were we were making deals with the dead. Um, we learned about tortious acts. Um, the the law mentor explaining the why. I mean, it, it was there was a lot of heavy topics that were discussed, and it was it was a lot of fun. It was funny. And how do you get to that though, Matt? How do, how can how can people that want to learn more about our dumb antics? and frivolous conversation how can they get access to that i don't think they deserve it to be honest <laughs> I'm, i completely made that up i completely made that up uh patreon.com forward slash burn return we truly appreciate all the support we get from all the patrons and you know and those the access to those tidbits of content is what is what being a patron is all about and that's what allows us to continue to do this uh so that way every time i tell my wife hey baby we got to go report record a podcast she's not like you degenerate bastard you spend more time in front of the computer with your online friends than you do in real life she doesn't do that and you know why it's because of the 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 patronic support we get from our patrons i'm just making up patron related words now after the <laughs> after we unpack the definition of the word tortious tortious earlier today jesse am i pronouncing that correctly by the way gentlemen if y'all don't know 
Now, we have a new sponsor this week that will be coming up later in the show. We'll, we'll save a special segment for, right. uh, for the sponsor. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about that because I think it's something that you have to remember the type of listenership we attract, right? There's a reason why we're top 200 in Bulgaria. We attract a certain special listener. And so when I was racking my brain over what would have the broadest appeal to our listenership, I'm telling you, I nailed it. I hit it out of the park on the first swing here. And so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But I just I wanted to bring it up and let y'all in on this before we actually made it there. Um, that being said, let me introduce y'all as if people don't know who you are already. Uh, we have Mr. Ryan DeMay, Mr. Ray Udo. Gentlemen, how are y'all doing? Fantastic. You know, it's a, it's a good night to be here. Lots to talk about, even though, like you said, it's, uh, what, damn near the end of the year, 50, what, uh, first or 50th week of the year. And here we are still talking about grass and agriculture and everything like that. And I don't see it stopping that. Ray, what about you? Yeah, I, I don't I don't see anything uh, ending just because it's the end of the year. In fact, if anything, uh, my indication is is that things are about to get hot. Hot. Uh, whether people know it or not, and uh, like we talked about, unfortunately, a lot of people have no concept of how hot things are about to get. You know, you say that, and I, I hope we're talking about fertilizer. I hope you're not talking about that Christmas ham you're going to give Sheila later. So, looking forward to... <laughs> oh! <laughs> Listen, if it's too much clove, it's a burning and a nummy effect. But if it's just enough mm-hmm. clove, it's an appropriate amount of flavor. So, as you prepare to deliver the ham, make sure you have the appropriate amount of clove. For your desired outcome, right? I don't, I don't, you know, Sheila, Sheila, Sheila may be, I don't know. I'm sure she's had her palate cleansed, no doubt. Well, it, it, it depends because, uh, by the way, I also learned about the alternative to a coconut shrimp grill. And I got to tell you guys. That other type of grill sounds a lot better to me. Ray, yeah. Next time, next time you visit Tennessee, we're gonna go. We're gonna go visit some mountain women, okay? And uh, mm-hmm. we're we're just we're gonna have some conversations and let you meet some mountain woman that hasn't been around the general population in twenty years. And uh, we'll we'll give you if you look up the definition of coconut shrimp girl, um, and then. Uh, what 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 is it in the thesaurus when you look up the the exact opposite word? What is that called? Synonym and antonyms. When you look up the That's antonym it. of coconut yeah, shrimp antonym. girl, you're gonna find old mountain lady here. And I don't know, y'all may hit it off. You may say that. And well, that's a little too far on that end of the aisle. No, so let's... no, no. Actually, actually not because uh, I gotta tell you, there's one yet one more facet of the coconut shrimp girls that I I found very unattractive. And that would be, no, no, that would be the marijuana during the daytime and the mess at night. 
that combination there is not usually recommended for most people. Um, I'm sure there are some <laughs> moderately productive members of society out there that sustain mm -hmm. that kind of diet for at least a week or two before their life falls apart. But it's not usually recommended, and I could see where that would be a little unappealing, Ray. Yeah, because you see, I, as I told you, I am very tolerant. I'm pretty liberal, but then the idea of somebody fucking up their brain, you know, in opposite directions on a regular basis is just kind of a bit much. <laughs> Speaking of brain-melting information, gentlemen, let's jump into this week's headlines. Nothing to fear here. This is just the news. This is news out of Kenya. Kenya is divided over pesticide ban to align with the EU Green Deal. The Kenyan farming community is divided over efforts by lawmakers to bring their regulators on pesticides in line with the EU's Green Deal. Industry groups warn that a ban could wipe out over a billion dollars of production. The East African country's agricultural sector could lose more than 1.2 billion euros if the ban on the use of agricultural chemicals comes into force, argues the Tegameo Institute of Research and Policy based at Egerton University and Agricultural Specialist Institute in Central Kenya. If the ban is affected, then Kenya will have no alternative but to become a net importer of food to meet the needs of its people, as a substantial amount of food will be lost. The lion's share of Kenya's exports to the EU represented by agricultural commodities such as cut flowers, fruits, and vegetables accounted for more than 90% of the total export value. In recent years, crop production across East Africa has been plagued by locust invasions, prompting heavy use of pesticides. Up to 90% of Kenyan fresh product output relies on smallholders uh, owning land of between half an acre to five acres in size. The European Green New Deal should be seen as a foreign policy tool for the EU because it is going to affect every country in the world that the EU trades with, uh, said uh, Olamide Abimola of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. This is now evident in Kenya, where the National Assembly is considering whether to impose a total ban on agrochemicals that have been banned in the EU. This move came after Gladys Chalet a lawmaker in the devolved U.S. Uh, Uashin Gishu County assembled, tabled a public petition in Parliament arguing that the volume of imported pest control products had more than doubled in four years, posing a risk to health and the environment. The proposed ban would cover around 200 chemicals. On instructions from the National Assembly Health Committees, the, the country's Pest Control Products Board is currently midway through conducting a risk analysis of products sold in Kenya. Of the assessed pesticides, 24 products are carcinogenic, 24 are mutagenic, and 35 are endocrine disruptors, and 140 are neurotoxins. The East African community, a six-country block with its own single market for goods and a common external tariff, also considers whether to harmonize pesticide regulations. However, envir environmental campaigners argue that non-toxic products can be used to protect crops, and they go into a little bit more detail about that. Um, I don't know. Hot take here, but... Um, <sighs> oh, come on. You wanted to say it. It was right there. It was right there. Hey, listen. I'll say this to start. Did these not uh, did these people not see what has just transpired in Sri Lanka? I mean, are they completely oblivious to what has taken place there? When you execute 
a ban on something and then reap all the unintended consequences that follow behind that. And I'm not saying that you don't mm-hmm. need to get smarter about what gets applied over there because I'm sure, I can't say I'm sure, can't say I'm sure, but I'm, it's a high likelihood that it's probably like the Wild West over there, fellas. I'm sure you can spray whatever the hell you want, whenever the hell you want, and there's probably not a whole lot of recourse that the government or anybody else has. Does that need to change? Probably, yeah. But look at the way that, you know, it, it kind of describes a little bit about how their, their farming and their agriculture system set up, you know, where they're exporting things that aren't food, right? And a lot of the food that does, the food production that does take place there is from subsistence farmers and smaller farms, right, that are supplying, you know, local and maybe regional uh, areas. So to take all those tools and all that knowledge out of people's hands and taking care of those crops, just one fell swoop, right? Like, that sets up for a pretty dangerous situation. Now, notwithstanding the fact that, again, them being a net importer, is their infrastructure even set up to be a net importer of food and distribute that countrywide and make it all available to people? My uh, hot take uh, regular before, basis. my hot take was, we have at least historical data sets that we can look at what happens when it is reliant upon um, the leaders of some of these African countries with the responsibility yeah. of distributing um, n- necessary goods to the community? We can look and see what's happened yeah. before in the past, and it's led to um, incredibly horrific Civil war. people in power. Civil war. Yeah. Famine. Genocide. Famine. Famine. Genocide. Mm-hmm. All those yeah. things. Nothing, yeah. you know, no, nothing warm and fuzzy, right? Yeah. No. Like not, nothing. Nothing. Uh, nothing good. Nothing good. So, I I have to ask now: Is this another case of people that are incredibly detached from daily reality making the rules? Because. Uh, by the way, a long time ago, I saw a documentary on what a locust invasion looks like when it goes through Africa. It was a, a National Geographic uh, hour-long uh, you know, documentary, and I was horrified. I was absolutely horrified because you know how we uh, get all freaked out about armyworm? Mm-hmm. Imagine you seeing a field of, say, sorghum or vegetables or corn descended upon by locusts, and then the locusts land, start eating, and they don't fly off until every single green thing in that field is absolutely totally gone. And you're also going to tell me that you can only apply non-toxic organic products to save these fields. Well, I don't know. The again, this is a, this is a, at a national level, right? Where you're seeing that in order for all the other things, right, that come with. Uh, you know, being aligned with the European Union, which there's probably some really tangible economic benefits to doing so, but 
you got to get on the bus to do that. And I'm not going to say that this, you know, meets the level of extortion, but there, again, you can't just come in and impose and say, okay, let's just say that for a second. Let's, you know, Matt, to your point about, you know, the bad things that can happen. Let's think about through the course of human history where people have come into a foreign country, right? Larger governments, states, whatever, and, and said, hey, you're going to change the way that you do things to be more in line with the way that we do things. Here you go. <laughs> I'm not saying that it doesn't always work out. I'm just saying that the, at best, it's going to be a really bumpy ride. And, and unfortunately, some people are going to feel those effects to the point that it's harmful, if not fatal at first. And I hope that doesn't come to pass. So we'll see what happens here. But I just, you know, it was interesting. Uh, the hard sell that they're getting. It is interesting, especially since China has the checkbook open right now and is loaning to Africa at uh, at an incredible pace towards uh, infrastructure development. And it's almost like, well, we've got China that's giving you all this money. Well, if but if you want to play with us, if you want to play with us, we're going to enact some very, very strict rules upon how you produce food, especially food that's even dealt with locally. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's a very, very bizarre thing. Speaking of bizarre things, guess what? There are many factors that affect fertilizer pricing. Who would have thunk it? This next article here is uh, this is from Enid News and Eagle. And uh, we said the reality of high fertilizer prices, in many cases more than $1,000 per ton over last year's comparable averages, is inescapable for farmers planning for 2022. <clears throat> While it would be convenient to blame COVID-19 or national leadership changes, and those could be factors in certain instances, the situation has tangled uh, a tangled web of international changes, natural events, and once-in-a-lifetime complications. The world's using more and producing less for the last two years, said Kansas Farm Bureau Director of Commodities Mark Nelson. We've seen almost on average a 2% increase in acreage planted around the world, not just in the U.S., but we're seeing more acres planted internationally. That means more fertilizer data, but it tightens up the supply. So I guess the long and short of, of it is that UA, uh, urea, uh, ammonium, uh, particularly has a real fundamental supply shortage. There's not enough UA out there and probably uh, maybe have heard that from your suppliers. While producers have already felt the impacts of fertilizer shortages in the form of higher prices, the impacts from the current supply and demand conditions has the potential to be long-lasting and profound. How do we get out of this, and what does it look like going forward, Walker said? How do we get here? International litigation. The first and potentially most profound price-increasing factor, especially for phosphate prices, occurred in foreign and domestic dispute. It started with Mosaic. Everybody point the finger and laugh at Mosaic for getting us into this shit, and I don't mean that figuratively. Uh, essentially saying, hey, you've unfairly subsidized the value of phosphates bringing them into our country, and you can't do that anymore. We can supply the domestic market ourselves. Well, eight months after Mosaic was given the full-fledged absolute green light to have a monopoly over the United States phosphate market, uh, the largest man, the launch suit investigations found fault with phosphate subsidizing practices in companies from both Morocco and Russia. Uh, tariffs ranging from 9 to 47% on the companies implicated in the suit quickly halted exports from those countries. When you lock out one manufacturer, you'll get it from somewhere else, right? Walker said, we probably got it from Australia. It's just a lot more expensive to get it from Australia than it is to get it from Russia. So now your prices are going to stay up. Suit was a gigantic win for Mosaic because they don't care who they fuck in the end. And as a result, producers applied less phosphate in 2021, choosing to rely on soil tests to not only apply absolutely necessary inputs, 
which could increase demand in already strained markets for 2022. Then there's natural gas availability. We know it's already in a major shortage. Uh, we start to see the price of UA start going up again because we took out semester in it, 3,000 to 4,000 tons of UA production during that period in late February, early March. Um, and then international litigation part two, uh, CF industry controls a similar amount of nitrogen manufacturing space and sub subsequently followed the precedent with an international suit of their own. Uh, CF industries went after people also sold some of their reserves to other people, uh, uh overseas as well. And Russia and Morocco said, sorry, we're not going to import anything else. Then we have natural disasters, which hurricane Ida, uh, took out some nitrogen production down South last year. Um, and then, of course, you know, we had the unprecedented cold in Texas that took place, which put a significant demand on uh, natural gas. And then we have plant maintenance. Um, everybody's having to shut down to repair their plants because, you know, you, you got to do that, too. China's removal from the global market. Uh, China is worried about uh, air quality and human rights complaints leading into the 2022 Winter Olympics. So they just shut down because they can and just point and laugh at us as we squirm, wondering where the hell we're going to get all our fertilizer from. And then, of course, European demand, which we kind of touched on earlier. Um, I say this with a lot of uh, 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 inter interjection there, but I, I do so crassly because, yes. This is not just one thing we can point at that got us in, in this situation. It was a multitude of things. And uh, I, as, as we were kind of sounding the alarm on this time, you know, three, four months ago, it's all the pieces are there for the dominoes to fall, right? It's just what will be the catalyst to knock it over. Well, it turns out that if you just continue to stack dominoes, eventually someone's going to fuck up when they set it down and they'll just start falling. And unfortunately, that's the situation we've run up to here where we continue to test our, uh, our, our, our stability and prowess of setting dominoes and someone just goofed, bumped the table and they started collapsing. Now, let's just hope that when we bump the table hard enough that it actually separated two of the dominoes that will allow this to um, not continue following at the pace it has. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't know. I've said my piece. I think everybody knows how I feel. It's fucked up. And the, 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 the more I think about the mosaic thing, the angrier I get. And it's and what this company doesn't talk, what this article doesn't talk about is also Nutrien and Yara, the other major, major players in, uh, in part of the part of the situation we're in and why we're in the situation we're in. And I think they deserve as equal uh, finger pointing as mosaic and CF industries do. So, and it's not to say that all the fingers should be pointed at them. I want to make that clear too. Go ahead and read that next article, and then we'll we'll jam on this a little bit more because it it, it kind of ties into this particular sure. topic very directly. Absolutely, would love to. Grassley to Garland investigation investigation needed in the fertilizer industry. Senator Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa sent a letter to Attorney General Garland calling on the Department of Justice to investigate concerns raised by American farmers about possible anti-competitive activity market manipulation in the fertilizer industry. Fertilizer is an essential input for farmers across the country. Without fertilizer, crop yields and agricultural productivity would be significantly reduced. I'm going to skip around a little later here. The DOJ should initiate an investigation of the fertilizer market so the farmers across the country can have assurances there are no violations of U.S. antitrust law in the fertilizer industry. Fertilizer tariffs are placing an incredible financial burden on American farmers. There is no reason that corporations like Mosaic and CF Industries should be using the government to expand their monopolies at the expense of farmers. That's why we were so grateful that Senator Grassley met with us, listened to our story, and then took immediate action. 
Uh, Grassley has been a strong advocate for farmer for family farmers and the impact felt with continued consolidation within various sectors of agriculture. Grassley has used his position as both the Senate Judiciary Committee and Senate Agricultural Committee to shine a light on anti-competitive industry actions and ensure family farmers have a voice in Washington, D.C. Absolutely. That. That's all. This is centralization of power, and it's been going on for a long time. Like this is not new. It's not. Well, and I and and, and I think this is where you know there's going to be, is there going to be any teeth to an investigation like this to go after folks for anti-competitive practices or antitrust, right? Because you know you don't have to necessarily be John D. Rockefeller, right? to happen or microsoft or anybody else that's been accused of this you know the, these are companies their capital right to buy up more market share but then what are they doing right they're using international law right to go after their main competitors right they come into our spaces importers and they're fucking them over on purpose and you can't tell me that they're saying that they're you know that they they have undue influence right in the market that, that Russia or anybody else like if this, and I don't know, I'm not a lawyer. We have one though, who's listening and maybe he can, he can provide some context. Yep. Yep. Is, uh, you know, why, why are other commodities not like this? Right. Like why can't, uh, domestic oil companies or natural gas producers, uh, sue other, you know, uh, other countries or, or producers from other countries under the same, uh, legal argument. I don't know. I'm saying that you look at what's going on and in a, in a, like you said, in the domino effect of everything that it's taking place and how it's all stacking up, you've got these companies lined up that are going to milk this shit as long as they possibly can. And they're not going to go down without a big old fight because they got plenty of cash and they got plenty of time and a whole fuck ton of people that are beating down their door saying, Hey, I don't care what it costs. Just get it to me. Right. And that's the case, that's the situation we're in right now, is there is zero zero incentive Ray for these people to cave. I mean none. So what's it going to take? None at all. What it might well take is a DOJ action similar to uh, what happened to the telecommunication industry mm-hmm. in the 1980s and the 1990s. Where, you know, there was action taken regarding the uh, violations of the anti-monopoly and antitrust laws. You know, it might take uh, DOJ getting on uh, nutrients and uh, mosaics ass about this. I foresee that. We're not. We're not. Because, unfortunately, all of this, you know, crisis and chaos Mm -hmm. fits into the agenda of the environmentalist Luddites. This falls into their agenda. So, uh, in... I'll tell you one thing that's real frustrating to me is, you know, there was constant talk of you. you, There were 2019, 2020 green ammonia plants coming on. 
Uh, ThyssenKrupp won a contract to build uh, Cronus Chemical, and you, you hear you hear all these all these you know big things that are happening, and none of them have come have come to fruition, right? None of that shit has come to fruition. Who knows why? I I don't know. A lot of that is you know backdoor deals and all that fun stuff, and that would be another new player on the space. And there was there was a fair amount of international investment that was behind Cronus Chemical too. And that would have been another player in the game right in the middle of the Midwest. And they were going to be doing, I think it was like 6 billion metric tons of ammonia wow. was going to be coming out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was massive, mm-hmm. massive. And would have shaken things up. But they started getting into, when the, when the, the, the bureaucracy of it all started getting involved, it got, it got really, really weird, right? Because all of a sudden, some of the, uh, the uh, uh, tax incentives that they got were wiped away, and then they were trying to lobby those back and never could get those back. And it makes you wonder, you know, was oh, Mosaic there involved with some that? Dark, was CF Industries some dark money there, there involved with that? Yeah. Well, and part of the I mean, international money was coming from uh, 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 Switzerland and further areas of the northern part of the EU where you start tap dancing around with, uh, with Yara's space that they kind of control, right? So no. the whole thing does. I don't know. You know, I want to go down the rabbit hole of isn't the purpose of government to keep us from getting into the situations instead of having to bail us out of these situations. And here we are again with another bureaucratic. It, to me, it would be like, OK, um, I, 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 BP, Exxon, soil, Sue. OPEC out of any sort of oil supplying to the United States, and then they shut down all of their drills in the Gulf of Mexico. It just doesn't make sense, right? Everybody would say that's crazy. Why would they do that? Well, that's exactly what we're doing in the United States. So in the, in the, in the fertilizer industry in the United States, speaking of how we're going to get ourselves out of the mess that this show will get us on, uh, will get us in because I've got a feeling, listen, when we were launching this, I was talking about a very special sponsor that would appeal to our listenership, right? And I'm talking about listenership from all the way from Bulgaria to Australia, even here in the United States. Gentlemen, I reached out to our resident criminal defense attorney, Jesse Bousquet. I know listening right now, there's, there's a high number of criminals, and that's fine. A life of crime is for certain people. Ourselves, listen. What we were talking about up here, we could be executed for. But we're not. And you know why? It's because we've got the law on our side. Jesse Bousquet specializes in all criminal defense and landlord side eviction matters. Um, what people don't know is that this is not just, he does not just represent Boston, Massachusetts, where he's headquartered. He, he handles federal crime. Federal wow. crime. That's good for so, us. When you're conducting crimes across state lines, exactly, across state lines, or you're involving things at the federal level, Jesse Bousquet is here to take care of you. And what, what I, and I'll tell you that there's a piece of his history that excites me to no end. Being a law clerk was not, uh, being a, a, a practitioner of law was not his, his first endeavor, right? Oh, boy. Went to work at TrueGreen, was a, was a licensed pesticide applicator for TrueGreen. He was one of us first. He was a mechanic for 15 years, worked in wastewater treatment facilities. Then, then he had a midlife crisis and decided to become a practitioner of law. And good for him. Because now, 
that gives opportunity for guys like us and our listeners who live lives of crime, modest lives of crime, <laughs> to have someone that they can reach out to. So this week's sponsor of Burn and Return is Jesse Bousquet Law. If you find yourselves in the midst of needing a criminal defense attorney, whether at the federal level or in the state of Massachusetts, reach out to Jesse Bousquet. Remember, he's one of us. All right, gentlemen, let's check out this week's Burns. Could be the pork uh, loin for Sheila this week. I think. Pork, pork, pork loin. Maybe. Is that a Christmas joke? No, I'm just saying. Ray might have the pork loin ready for her for Christmas dinner. Maybe. Right? Yeah. What are you making mm-hmm. for Christmas dinner? I'm a, I'm a little bit undecided. <laughs> I mean, I might go Italian because beef is a scarce thing here in Hawaii. Because you know what dried up supply wise? Rib roasts. Ooh. Gotta put a dent in Ray's Ray's mango planning. Yeah. Because I I I already gave warning to the family that I may well end up doing a more Italian style Christmas where I'm just going to bake up a Lasagna al forno. Ooh. That's fine. Yeah. I, mean, I don't even know what that is. Promise me that you're going to give Sheila all the layers, right? Promise me Oh, that. Sheila's going to get all the, all the layers all right. And this one's going to be with the bechamel sauce and ricotta in between each layer as well. You make sure she, you <sighs> save her some extra cheese. When you go up, yeah. you know. Like you're at the, the the real Olive Garden, and they crank that cheese on there, and she tells you to say when. Just don't ever say it, Ray. No safe food. <laughs> Go for it. Someone signed me up to be a fly on the wall. Um, <laughs> pesticides can hurt agricultural communities, so why do farmers fight back against bans? Well, Pyrofoss was finally banned in 2021, but agricultural groups are speaking out. In late November, Senator Cory Booker announced to protect America's children from Toxic Pesticides Act, the PAC-TPA, a measure that would ban dangerous insecticides like Paraquat, one of the most toxic herbicides in the world from U.S. agriculture. Booker's proposed legislation would update the federal uh, FIFRA. This would ban the most damaging chemicals that have been proven to harm public health and the environment. This isn't the first time this year that pesticides made the headlines. This year, this past August, the U.S. EPA announced that it would finally ban chlorpyrifos, one of the most toxic and widely used pesticides on the market. But chlorpyrifos being taken off the market was a small success when removing pesticides from the agricultural industry. Some well-known chemicals like dicamba, an herbicide that was under fire for being linked to cancer-causing, came back on the market in October 2020 after being banned just months before. Insecticides are regularly used to kill or repel insects that could damage crops like fruits and vegetables. But the chemicals make their way miles and miles from farms that grow the produce. Chlorpyrifos can be an especially harmful chemical. Early exposure to chlorpyrifos has been linked to respiratory issues and uh, lower lung infection. Babies and children are exposed during critical stages for brain development around the toddler stage. The chemical can also uh, increase the risk of developmental delays, learning disabilities, lower IQ scores, and ADHD, according to the NRDC. 
Oftentimes, these children are likely to be working-class farming communities that may lack the resources to deal with significant developmental delays that affect behavior and ability to learn in school. That low-income communities of, of color are disproportionately impacted by the health effects of chemical toxins, such as chlorpyrifos, is not new, is not news, nor is it an accident. However, some farmers are objecting to the EPA's ban. In August, more than 80 agricultural groups filed an objection to the agency's ruling, hoping to, uh, in hopes of keeping access to what they feel is a vital tool in farming. And without it, yields could drop around 45%. A similar argument was made when dicamba was banned from use. The American Farm Bureau Federation and American Soybean Council argue that cotton and soybean producers would face financial losses without the use of dicamba. It's upsetting that EPA has revoked such an important chemistry without input from USDA or other st- stakeholders. Chlorpyrifos is critical to the Michigan and Wisconsin cherry industries, as there are no other products that effectively control trunk borers. With more than 4 million cherry trees, Michigan grows 75% of the total U.S. population of tart cherries, roughly around 20% of the total population of sweet cherries. Without this product, our growers risk losing a lot of trees. But there are still risks when it comes to using these pesticides when it comes to yields. Just in November, showed dicamba-resistant water hemp, a problematic weed growing across Corn Belt, has been grown in Illinois despite never being sprayed with the pesticide. In the case of chlorpyrifos, the ban means replacing the chemical by using multiple layers of pesticides that pests like soybean aphids have already become resistant to, costing more money for farmers and still releasing controversial chemicals into the environment. Despite all the concerns, action towards banning and limiting chlorpyrifos has been slow. It was phased out of household products in the mid-90s. In 2012, uh, EPA created buffer zones, and it was then re- revised for human health risk in 2014 and 2016 before undergoing a human risk assessment in 2020. Uh, lawyers are involved. They're ready to tackle uh, tackle banning toxic insecticides quicker and take a more precautionary approach, often followed by the European Union. Some strict regulations in the EU date from more than a decade ago. If you demonstrate that a chemical is safe, then we're going to allow it to be used. Whereas in the United States, we essentially take the approach that if you can't demonstrate that there's harm, then we're going to allow you to use it. Uh, we need agencies to do their part. The EPA has the authority to look at the class as a whole, she says. We shouldn't have to fight. And or we have, shouldn't have to fight to enforce regulations and spend years and years in court to do that. The EPA should take away the bad chemicals and provide support for agriculture that keeps people healthy. I have no take on this immediately. I'll let y'all speak first. That Well, that last line, right? This is the crux of the issue is, let's see. The EPA should take away the bad chemicals and provide support for agriculture that keeps people healthy. What does that mean? What does that last part really mean? That provide support for agriculture that keeps people healthy. Because all I've heard, right, has been, we need to take this shit away. Now, I'm not discounting all. That, that, I'm not discounting yeah, and- that there's some bad shit out there. I agree mm-hmm. that there is some bad shit that shouldn't be used. But what is that support? What is it going to take? Right. Is the is the government in Kenya going to step up Are the governments of the European Union going to step up and help them? You know, for here, you're talking about wiping out 75 percent of an entire industry and literally probably a, a region of the Michigan economy when it talks about taking away this one thing. Now, I'm not saying that there are alternatives. I'm not saying there aren't, aren't alternatives, but the point they make in the article, you know, from the industry group is, OK, hey, listen, you take away this one thing. And it's bad. Like, don't get us wrong. I don't think anybody out there is not disagreeing that this is some bad shit, but they have to use it because that's all they have. Otherwise, what they're saying is that they're taking layers of other pesticide control measures, right, and overlapping mm-hmm. them to get the same level of control, hopefully. 
And when I say that, that means uh, that we're, we're putting more bad stuff out in the environment, right? From a, from a volume standpoint and from a frequency of application. So we're exposing our workers more because they're making more applications, mm-hmm. right? We're putting more out into the environment than we really need to because we could control it with something else that's only a one-time app. So I don't, you know, where that, where that pinch point is between there, it's somewhere in product development. It's somewhere in how does the markets, you know, demand that and how does the market supply that? And I don't know what the answer is there, but my question is to these, to these folks is you want to provide support. That is a politician's talking point. That is bullshit. It's absolute bullshit until somebody steps up and says, Hey, these are the real measures that we're able to take to help provide support to agriculture. Right. And what I mean that, what I mean by that is, you know, in Kenya, how do we provide support to agriculture that they're going to lose they're going to lose their food that they provide for their families or for their cities or for their regions. How does mm-hmm. that take place in Michigan? Yeah. You're going to lose 70% of the tart cherry crop for the entire country that comes out of that state. What do you say to that? How do you provide support to that? I'm not saying that it Subsidies. can't be done. I'm just saying, how do you do this? And instead of just saying, Hey, just get rid of it. Oops, and we'll figure this shit out later. It's, it, it's mm-hmm. just, it's fucking irresponsible. It really is. No, it, it, so, mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the only thing that really just grinds my gears is instead of just talking about the ban part, let's talk about the holistic approach. That's right. Look at that. Grinds my gears. You bet. Goddamn right. Look at that. This. You're goddamn right. It does. Gives me the, hey, gives me the red ass. Go ahead, Lon Bergen. You make that mm-hmm. one. I'll yeah. stop and shut <laughs> up. But I, I just, I just, I, I would rather see a more holistic approach that uh, that recognizes the challenges that are being presented all the way around of not just the food production piece or excuse me not just the chemical piece but also the food production piece so i'll shut up and listen now Fuck. okay i i have some insight as to this uh, you know tree borer or boring insect type of a problem in that up until the 2000s we actually had something besides chlorpyrifos for borers and okay. it was super it was super effective. Uh, I know that insecticide as endosulfan. And endosulfan is basically chemical cousin to dieldrin and aldrin, but it worked. And it actually worked a lot better than chlorpyrifos. But in the 2000s, it was decided that of course, endosulfan is too much like DDT, so that had to go away. Mm. And by the way, after that went away, then these farmers were extremely dependent on dormant season trunk sprays of chlorpyrifos to prevent the borers from getting into their fruit trees and chewing the trees down to the ground. So this previous and, chemical, right, was it a toxicity issue or the persistence issue or both? Both. Both. Endosulfan okay. is something that is just uh, crazy, crazy toxic. And also, it is a genuine, honest pollutant. But endosulfan is boys. still... No. Endosulfan is still used in... Africa, India, and Southeast Asia. 
Mm. They still use it there. You know, it, but, oh, in, but, <laughs> go, ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Brian. Go ahead. So, I'm I'm kind of taking another viewpoint of this in that if I had my rathers, I don't like to see the extremely crazy and toxic products exported to these countries where I know that there's no infrastructure to ensure safe use. Like, I don't like to see all the shit. I don't like to see all the shit that we banned in the United States. Go to Brazil or go to Kenya or, or go to Vietnam. I don't like to see that kind of stuff because I know damned well that there's no equivalent of the EPA or OSHA ensuring that the people that are handling the, that these products in those countries are using it in a manner that ensures their safety as well as lesser impact on the environment. You know, I, I was thinking about an alternative here for borers. And, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is abamectin. I'm, I'm not talking about ivermectin. and I'm making that clear in case the YouTube machine hears me talking about abamectin which is an injectable product, extremely long residual within the, uh, within the tree. However, I have no idea how much of that carries over into the fruit, right? Okay, so, you know what, Matt? What's that? I, I have an idea. Too much. Too much carries over into the fruit. And here's the problem with abomectin, Matt. Have you ever looked at the product label or the SDS for, for example, 0.15 EC abamectin, like what we use for nematodes. Have you ever looked yeah. at that label in SDS? It's horrific, yeah, Matt. Exactly. It, and, and that is some toxic fucking shit. And the reason why I know that is, in another, another time, that would be yet another product or material, Matt, that I would be spraying at high pressure inside of a closed greenhouse. So the deal with making that kind of application is you make sure that that application doesn't land on your skin and for God's sake, make sure you don't inhale any of that. Because that could be a bad day if you do. Yeah, and you know, it's... Again, we're in one of these things where if we if we're having to target borers and having to go about it from a systemic standpoint, because you know there's a very small window when borers are not boring into the tree, right? Uh, as mm-hmm. as adults, and I, you know I, you're having to turn to what else can you turn to? You're back at imidacloprid, and I, is that is arguably nowhere near enough potency to take it out, or you're at one of the avermectins, and uh, and. We know that is incredibly, incredibly toxic, uh, arguably at at uh, at lower use rates than chlorpyrifos is. And so I guess at what point is the alternative when the conversation becomes, well, we're just going to have to give up cherries? And is that an appropriate answer? No, let, let's, uh, let's give up production so that Instead of getting cherries from the United States, we also export production to one of these uh, 
countries where they don't mind if you use chlorpyrifos. They don't care if you're spraying endosulfan. You know, they don't they don't mind. No big deal. Because there is a third alternative to chlorpyrifos and you know others, and that is imagine making repeated applications of bifentrin or carbaryl to the trunks of the tree. You know, on a seven-day I mean, interval, like 26 weeks a yeah. year? Yeah, yeah. And for one thing, Matt, with the way that they're all, the EPA is also going after pyrethroids and carbaryl, there's no way in hell that a grower would be allowed to apply as much carbaryl or bifenthrin in order to protect their trees because as is annual application limits are set so low that you can literally apply that maybe only a couple times in a year and you're done for the year. Hmm. That's it. And even if you, you're if done. you couldn't, if they didn't have annual limits, then you're still applying arguably 20 times the amount of active ingredient and in total pounds through the course of the year because of the frequency of applications you're going to have to make. Mm-hmm. And we're, mm-hmm. and if the, if the concern is exposure, we are increasing exposure potential by 20 fucking X. Yeah. So it's, I, I, I'm, I'm with you here, Demay. It's, is it, it's fun to point it's fingers, but it's mad. What is it? And I'm my not dad says, that, you, that we, Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, what's old man Martin saying? I want to know. It says, you know, this is one of the things I've heard him say is that uh, a, a an engineer is really good at identifying problems. A good engineer is good at uh, identifying solutions. And this is one of those where it's real easy on the surface to go around and point and say, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. But uh, But when it comes to actually dissecting all the data and presenting solutions right now um nobody seems willing to do that and in all honesty these farm groups are probably are probably looking at all of that and saying look we don't have any active ingredient alternatives right now and the best solution we currently have right now to mitigate exposure and maintain an economy and maintain a crop a community is unfortunately chlorpyrifos. Well, mm-hmm. and the only other and, thing I can say to that is, is you know, and cherries aren't probably the best crop to do this on, but there's going to be some that you have to single out and say, listen, like there is no other option right now. But I'm sure there's others, right, that you could probably on a small scale find, because this is what it's going to take, right, with, with organic farming, right, it's going to take much more arable land to create the same amount of, of uh, production as we would in conventional agriculture, right? So I, I'm sure that there's ways to figure this out, but again, at a wide scale, I wonder what it would take. And then to have that data and to have those numbers and figure out what parts of the country that works and which crops it works on and all that kind of stuff, like that's what we need to do. We need to fund research and we need to fund uh, farmers you know, to do this and try this and figure out if it can be done and to what scale, like where are the bottlenecks, where are the problems, and then start going on the road of, okay, hey, we can start picking this off once we get to these critical 
you know, waypoints of, all right, hey, we've, we're able to supply, I don't know, 60% of whatever this crop is, you know, here domestically by doing the, you know, alternative agriculture and we can import the rest. And now we're good. We can start phasing out this one pesticide that this uh, particular crop is completely reliant. Needs. I don't know. I'm yeah. just saying like, that would be a better way to do it. I'd feel, listen, if I'm even as a pro applicator, even as somebody who, you know, is, is pro chemical for the reasons of not because, you know, Hey, you're going to come prime for my cold dead fingers, but more so like, these are the best tools that we currently have to deal with the situations at hand. It is comma. Uh, <laughs> it is a good way to, uh, I think to look at it, I would feel okay about doing it that way, Ray. I don't know how you all feel, but at least that way I know that, Hey, there, there is sort of, uh, metric to go by right and there are mm -hmm. ways that we're trying to figure out of how to do it better without just saying hey guess what it's all over with it's been you no know, what's what's it's the old song ray yeah. turn out the lights the party's over and mm -hmm. you guys got to figure this shit out in the dark yeah. but well, that removes know, politics from the equation and that's not what anybody's trying to do go ahead ray you see control control yeah. i i would be in high favor of Anytime something like this gets banned, an actual reasonable analysis is done on alternatives. Because uh, I've read tons and tons of that document called the EPA RED, right? Mm -hmm. I've read a lot of those documents and my goodness, uh, some of that or a lot of what I read in those documents uh, sounds almost like it was written or authored or edited by these anti-chemical, anti-technology activists like the uh, NRDC. because. At no time do I see attention paid to, like what you were saying, actual, you know, tangible alternatives presented to the product or the material in question. I don't see somebody, you know, looking at it thinking, Okay, we can ban this, but we don't have a practical and workable alternative to this. We don't. Last it thing just I'll got say banned. is this, the, the funniest thing about this whole thing was that the title of the original article in Popular Mechanics was, I think it's something to the effect of pesticides are surprisingly hard to ban in the United States. That's because there's a federal law that dictates how these all get registered how they stay labeled, the, the whole process of that being a recurring thing. It's not just like, you know, you get your driver's license when you're 16, you got it for life. It doesn't work that way, right, with all these chemicals. Mm -hmm. And so, again, I just, it's hard because it's hard to get them labeled in the first place, right? And there are laws that govern this. There is bureaucracy that governs this. I, I, I don't know. All I'll say, again, is just this whole idea of uh, bands making us, safer yes they open up one they, they they fix one one 
problem, one small problem, but they open up a can uh, way worse, way bigger than that. We'll move on to the next one here. Um, uh, everyone, fire up your AR-15s. Get them, get them all polished because uh, we're in, we're in for a good one here. A couple arrested <laughs> for theft. Police say they targeted lawn care companies. Dallas oh, police boy. have been searching for thieves who have been stealing items <sighs> from the back of trucks, trailers, and off front porches for months. The thefts reports came in. The crooks appear to target small lawn care companies and usually swiped items in the middle of the night. Backpack leaf blowers, tool bags full of toys, tools, lawn mowers, weed eaters. The thefts have been happening in Dallas and other parts of Paulding County. The latest report came in this week. A man said items were stolen from his truck parked in front of his Dallas home. Some tools and a backpack leaf blower were taken. He told police thieves were driving a U-Haul. At about the same time, a local U-Haul facility reported one of their trucks was stolen. It had been rented by Sheila Neesmith, but never returned. Police spotted the U-Haul and followed it to a local storage unit where they say they found Neesmith and Kenneth Moore unloading the truck into a parked storage unit. Backpack leaf blowers, handheld leaf blowers, red five-gallon gas cans, hand tools, tool bags, drills, and any other type of tool you can think of were pounded. Sheila and Moore were arrested while they sit in the Pauline County Jail. Investigators are processing all the tools. We located a plethora of stolen equipment, and we'd like to return that equipment to the rightful owners. Scroll up, J-Pink. Yeah. Listen, I got to say this before you get going. Ray, we had to put this in here because we wanted to let you know that Sheila's cheating on you, and she's cheating on you here with fat M&M. We're sorry. We we didn't want to tell you, but she's, yeah. she's, getting, she's getting out of line. She's getting out of line. But you see, that is why i told you weed in the daytime and mess at night is not a good combination i mean it just leads to trouble okay i'm just gonna put it that out there (laughs) her name was not actually sheila uh but i thought sheila was more fitting compared to the rest of the conversations we were having i think her name was paula uh or oh i may have made that up too okay but oh, yeah, she whatever. looks like a Sheila to me. And uh, oh, D- wait, her name was Delena. Delena. Uh, Delena here is a dumbass. Yeah, she's a, a bag of bricks. And uh, and so is uh, Kay Moore there next to her. And anyway, like I said, um, shut up, like set up shop. Or Kevin Federline. Kind of looks like a, a chubby Kevin Federline. If you combine <laughs> both of them, introduced a little bit of heroin, removed a, a whatever remnant of education they have, uh, and then added midnight meth, then this is what you got right here. That dude has yep. a better neck beard than I do, and I've been working on it since I was 14 years old. Look at that. That sorry-ass sack of shit. Just fucking what, infuriates Here's my me. question, though. On, whenever, somebody, whenever you read these articles, okay, number one, really inconspicuous drive around in the uh the u-haul van all right mm-hmm. uh number one number one number two where are you gonna unload all this shit like where are you gonna where are you gonna fence this california how are, how are you gonna Ooh, f- the black the black market the black market for the for the gas part equipment's gonna heat up boys maybe that's where they were taking mm-hmm. it. mm-hmm. it's gonna mm-hmm. be a chop shop out there and you know uh, the san fernando valley selling this stuff you know what i wonder what our friend uh mr busquette would do if presented a case like this <laughs> take the plea you know what Jesse? take the yeah, plea yeah yeah actually i think what mr busquette would, would say is uh sorry not gonna represent you 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 guys are guilty as fuck get the hell out of my office <laughs> get the hell I think out of my he office would say, 
I need y'all to stand outside here, bend over, spread your cheeks, and the lawn boys are going to come break their foot off up your ass. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, we're going to get to our uh, our other burn here. And uh, I saw this, and I, I got to say I was really impressed with this article and why I put it here, but at least there's active research taking place, right? Uh, new understanding, understanding of plant nutrient response can improve fertilizer management strategies. Uh, green is good, and however, a lack of green called chlorosis that is assessed with an anemic yellow appearance is oftentimes equated to a lack of iron. And basically what I read through here is um, a team of highly, highly educated researchers led by MSU's Hadam Rashad and including Carnegie Suri, Haim Nam, uh, Yeniv Doron, uh, Sophie Cloes, and Kang Mei Zhao show that a balance of both iron and phosphorus are necessary to prevent chlorosis. The project was initiated when Rouchard was visiting a scholar at Carnegie from France and was made, which was made possible in part by the Brigitte uh, Berthelamat's generous support to promote Franco-American research collaboration. For a long time, experts have thought that low iron is the sole cause of chlorosis, and farmers have often applied iron to combat leaf yellowing. The recent work has shown that other nutrients play a role in bringing about this anemic <laughs> reaction. Oh, However, when the nutrient phosphorus was also removed, the plant's leaves started accumulating chlorophyll and turned green again. Wow. So, boys, they have uh, finally uh, deduced pretty much shit that's already been deduced. I was just not very impressed by this, so I put it as a burn. There's got to be more to it than this article was written. Has to be. Where can can I find the link in the description below? Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, and and this this it. section brought to you by the Carnegie Institution for Science. So we're talking about a hundred thousand dollar a year education here has discovered that uh, iron is not the sole cause of chlorosis in plants. Fucking amazing. Um, let's try and bring a little bit of positivity back into the show with this week's returns. La 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 Um, 86,000 pounds of pesticides collected through the 2021 Agricultural Abandoned Pesticide Program. This is out of Little Rock, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, since 2005, the Agricultural Abandoned Pesticide Program has overseen the collection of 5.3 million pounds of unwanted pesticides across counties in Arkansas. The Arkansas Department of Agriculture is proud to work with our partners in administrating the Agricultural Abandoned Pesticide Program. Events like these held annually throughout the state help ensure safe and proper, proper disposal of unwanted pesticides to prevent them from potentially polluting our environment. Uh, commonly collective items include older, outdated pesticides such as calcium arsenate, sodium cyanide, lindane, chlordane, yeah. and 2,4,5-T. Yikes. Registered Yo. pesticides <laughs> and live safe products in 2,4-D are, that are unusable because they've been exposed to the elements or have been held over from previous growing seasons can also be collected. Uh, they had two collection events in 2021. Uh, anyway, yeah. So this hey, program hey, is Roger. in cooperation with the University of Arkansas Extension. Roger, Service you see my, you see my Agent Orange. You see my Agent Shoot. Orange. <laughs> Shoot, my man. Hey, I got it in the basement. I'm hiding it. <laughs> yeah, gonna have I, to come right out my cold dead hands. I want to go out there and defoliate no. all the dandelions and every other thing in the fucking no, yard. I, I think I once told you folks about one of my customers that. Had a bottle of stuff. They're not going to sneak up on in, me. In their shed. I'll see your defender and raise you with some 245T. I literally 
what I did with that bottle is I went down to the hardware store, got an empty metal paint can, suited it up. Storm drain. Oh, sorry. No, I was thinking then, of Jimmy. And then wrapped it in a lot of paper, slammed the lid back on that empty paint, metal paint can, and then told that person, take this stuff to the next uh, city of Honolulu hazardous waste collection day. Because you know, know what was in it, Matt? I do this, but here's me doing this. But don't do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. That's right. Hey, that's right. That, the, the whole point of this that's, is a return. Go ahead, Ray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, what was in that bottle was a combination of Metasystox R, Carbaryl, and some kind of a chlorinated miticide. And this this bottle dates back to the 1960s. And how's this for crazy? What's that? This, this uh, person asked me, "Hey, you think you could uh, use this up on on the trees and shrubs around the house?" And I said, "Fuck no, no, no thanks," because I have limits Just... as to what I will and will not apply. Actually, I actually have limits. Hey, as to what uh, I will and will not do, because there's a reason why that got banned in 1980. <laughs> there's a reason. So, uh, <laughs> I'd call Jesse yes, and, I, and be like, Jesse, I'm going to flush this down the storm drain. Yeah. Am I good? <laughs> Just good. I'm going to put it on YouTube. Is that good? Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. I keep it in the bathroom so that if they kick in my door ever, I can just easily dump it down the toilet before they knock down the door and take me into custody. <laughs> I keep it loaded Probably. in yep. a super soaker so I can spray it in their eyes before I finish spraying it down the drain. <laughs> so I think I told this story before, but there was a sales rep here a few years ago that uh, he had a customer call him and he said, uh, Hey, I've got some fungicide. I need you to recycle for me. Hey, no big deal. This guy does it all the time. They they have a good pesticide recycling program. So he gets up there and uh it's uh Ray, you might remember it. It's caddy fungicide, which is cadmium chloride. Cadmium chloride on uh, yeah, cadmium chloride on on thyram. I know, I know that stuff. I mean, that's just uh gnarly. <laughs> so gnarly. He's, he's like, "Can you take this?" Caddy, yeah, C A D D Y. Look it up, Caddy fungicide. Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. like, uh, "Yeah, I can't take this." He's like, "You got to take this. This is uh, universal waste. This is not something I can take." And the guy's like, "What do you?" I was using this up until about three years ago. <laughs> he's oh, like, fudge. Don't tell me that. He's like, "Don't fucking tell me that." No, I, uh, no, no. So don't yeah, tell me there's, that, there's probably plenty of old boys out there, Matt Martin. You mm-hmm. you sit there and we make jokes, but. You know, there's some old boys out there that are holding. I I think I told you this story too. I wanted an intern interview. I'm not going to say where. Older golf course, been there a long time, very well regarded too. And the super takes me in the chemical room when I'm interviewing. I'm 19 years old. I don't know shit. And mm-hmm. he's like, right there. That's my last two doses of mercury in case shit really hits the fan. And I'm like, let oh, me, okay, let me guess. Let me guess. Uh, you're standing in front of a couple cases of what I know as Tursan OM. Yeah, and you know, I did some you know research why, after that. Yeah, and you know why they they say OM? It's because 
what's contained in that wettable powder is what's known as phenylmercuric acetate. Okay. Toxic. Toxic. Oh. <laughs> Oops. So the whole point of this as a return is that, uh, you know, for folks that are listening, whether you're a pro or you're not, uh, you're a DIY mm -hmm. or whatever, there are really good pesticide recycling programs in every state, to my knowledge. I've never mm -hmm. come across one that doesn't. So, you know, you have stuff that is left over that you're like, oh, man, I've had this stuff for like five years and I don't think it's good anymore. Do just search for <laughs> pesticide recycling in your state. Right. And if you're not sure, the other thing you can do is always call your uh, state extension service and they should be able mm -hmm. to tell you, too, where you can do that. So responsible disposal does not mean, ah, eh, you know what, screw it. I'll just go out there and use it up and get rid of it, even though I don't have anything to spray it on. That's not responsible. So there are proper ways to get get rid of this stuff uh, if you need it. It's past you know, expiration. You don't think it's good anymore. It's been exposed to too much cold or too much heat or whatever the case might be. Please use these avenues to dispose of it safely and responsibly. Or kudos to Arkansas doing something good because there's nothing good yeah. about Arkansas really. I mean, a couple nice things. <laughs> John Ware's from there. I mean, I don't know Ozarks. I don't know if I got anything else. Oh, lawn Hot tools. Springs. We did sing. Lawn, yeah, there, yeah, there yeah Jordan, Jordan. Jordan's from there. Yeah, the lawn yeah. tool. They got five yeah. things in the state that big. Mm -hmm. yeah. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. Fairway lawns. We'll go sick. I got to show love. Fairway lawns from Arkansas? Yeah, yeah. Headquartered in Little yeah. Rock. Um, in case y'all were worried that, you know, we had too much bad news and that, you know, we, we get we get trapped sometimes and not, not you know, many ways out. Just want y'all to know, we don't have to worry about it. Last article here. We've got uh, the Doomsday Glacier in, our, in Antarctica could break up in three years. The floating ice shelf of the Tweedies Glacier, one of the biggest in Antarctica, usually described as a doomsday glacier, is expected to experience big changes in the next 10 years that would accelerate its breakup, according to a new study. This would increase its contribution to global sea rise by as much as 25%. The Thwaites Glacier is located in West Antarctica and is already dumping 50 billion tons of ice per year. Currently, a third of the yeah. glacier flows slower than the rest as it's locked by a floating ice shelf. Uh, but that block, uh, that block won't last long. And according to observations by the group of UK and US scientists that are part of the International Thwaites Glacier Collaboration, the program collects instrument data throughout the glacier and its adjacent ocean, hoping to better understand the future of the ice sheet and where it floats. A cha changing glacier. Uh, they warned that the warmer ocean water that circulates below the eastern shelf is reaching the glacier from all angles. This water is thinning and weakening the ice from beneath, causing the glacier to lose its grip on underwater mountain. Uh, there are already massive fractures in place that are expanding even more. The floating extension of the glacier will likely only last four or five more years, researchers argue, based on satellite data, and will result in a sea level rise by 25%. Yeah. This means that states such as California or Florida will be wiped off our map. So, guys, nothing to worry about. It's all going to be over with soon. Return. We've got the Doomsday Glacier that's going to save us all. You read it in the, with a smile on your face. Hey, listen, on the part on the lower part of that article, they were talking about how they, they explore these glaciers, you know, during the the summertime in Antarctica. And one was they take a submarine. So I want to know, Matt. One to ten, what would your anxiety level be if you were in a submarine in Antarctica underneath a glacier for an extended period of time? 
Um, it would be probably a thirty-three okay. on a scale of <laughs> one to ten, something like that. Okay. Mine would be a full-on fifty. Okay, my anxiety <laughs> level would be fifty because I already told you I'm not one of those jackasses that want to be on top of a wave or in the middle of the deep blue ocean. I'm not one of those guys. So you tell me that I'm going to be, uh, huh? You belong in the continental United States, right? That's what we're saying. (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty much. (laughs) I would need a constant supply of intravenous fentanyl and Xanax. Um, (laughs) And I would be, I would you're be an hitting that thing like the star. fucking Jeopardy Clipper. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, Matt, yeah, Matt, yeah. Matt, you're hitting it again. <laughs> like, yeah, my thumb is sore, so I need more medicine. I'll take the daily double <laughs> for two thousand, Alex. Alex is dead. I don't care. Still alive where care. I am. I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> What's the sixth sense? I see dead people. You've never seen it though, Matt. You've never seen it. I, I, <laughs> I'm still clicking my pump over here. Okay. Uh, Let's check out this week's mailbag. You've got mail. This is from uh, Tommy B here. It may be B Tommy. I'm not sure. Uh, He says, I have a question uh, that I'm struggling to find an answer to. My soul test shows that I'm high in sodium and extremely high in calcium. The soul test said above 30 was high for sodium and I was at 32. The calcium was 314. My test, uh, oh, the high for calcium on the soil test parameters he took was 314. My test was a reading of 402. The pH was good at 6.5. The test was taken taken at an optimal time. I did a renovation after the test using perennial ryegrass. I live in upstate New York and have sandy loam soil. Thanks for everything you guys do for the community. Hope to hear back enjoy the holiday season. Sincerely, Tom. I think the question therein lies is if we have... Uh, a a soil that is high in calcium and high sodium, what are we applying? Because conventional wisdom says to apply gypsum to displace the sodium. But if I'm already high in calcium, am I safe to apply gypsum to an already high calcium soil? Uh, Matt. Hell yeah. His his level of calcium is not high by any means because uh, Matt, his calcium level is not 2,000 to 5,000 or even mm-hmm. 18,000 like our, what our friends in Texas have. So he's good to go with like 50 pounds of gypsum per 1,000 square foot applied at a time when water is going to solubilize that gypsum and flush that down through the soil. And you know what else is also in his favor? His pH soil is not texture. high. Ooh, I was going to yeah, say and soil it, and it's, too. No, no, his pH is not high because if his pH were high, chances are he'd already have a very high level of calcium that all he'd need to do in order to access that high level of calcium is to acidify and get his pH below 7, but then... Because his soil pH is already under 7, all he needs is 50 pounds of gypsum per 1,000 square foot to start and test next year. That's my answer. You can split that up and do half and half. I mean, that's a heavy rate. 
but 25 and 25s yeah 25 and 25 it's probably doable for somebody at that level right and then mm. the other thing too like what ray was saying it takes a lot of water to solubilize that gypsum and knock it off so the other thing you can do too is use the reindeer advantage right go out uh springtime you know even summertime when you know you have a lot of rain coming and try to use that to your advantage if you don't have irrigation but i think you'll find um the good thing is ray is what i was thinking with the sandy loam is that you know, he's going to have good percolation good uh, a chance to get water to flush that down through right to flush that sodium mm -hmm. off there so it's going to be something that you do all the time I, I don't think you know he could put down a lot of gypsum and not really move that number to a place that is worrisome at all i think or it's harmful just be a yeah strategy. it's 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 a management tactic that's you know pretty tried and true you know areas of the country on golf courses you know the southwest and some other spots where this is a way of life like gypsum flushes are what you pretty much have to do all the time the other thing i would ask too is just from a sodium standpoint is check your water i don't know if you're irrigating out of a well you got city water or something like that but maybe it could be a depositor right so the things i'd be really worried about would be if there is a water issue from what you're irrigating with if you are irrigating is that maybe that is a depositor of some of that sodium so take a peek at that see what you got going on ryegrass does not like sodium at all and no it'll be tough to grow it, that um yeah it hates salt and then touching on that this is like very important if somebody has a water softener system installed Ooh, yeah. in their house please 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 do not use that water to irrigate your grass because here's how a water softener works in case people don't understand what the water softener does is it sends the water through an ion exchange resin system that replaces calcium and magnesium with normally sodium. Mm -hmm. There are some water softener systems that will replace that sodium with potassium. However, I find that to be also rather risky and do you know why i consider that risky because of potassium chloride no, because of the potassium chloride and fact of the matter is is that for humans a little bit of potassium chloride is no big deal too much is a different story stop that damn heart i'm on the journey <laughs> uh gentlemen Thank you all so much for joining me today on the show this evening. Uh, coming up on Thursday, we have Santa. Santa is going to be on Thirsty Thursday. So uh, if y'all have not submitted a question yet, head on over to thegrassfactor.tv forward slash Santa. Submit your questions. Jay Pink was giving me a little bit of taste of some of the questions that are coming in. Uh, and we've got we've got great ones. I've got to say that the things that are coming in from the community right now are hilarious. Um, <laughs> absolutely hilarious. So if you have a question for Santa, feel free to jump in, submit your question. Um, and then uh, we will be conducting a vote to see which member of the community we will have on uh, the after show with it's us a lottery santa will not, not it's oh Ooh, that's right it'll be a lottery it's a lottery uh, because we will not be able to keep santa for the after show unfortunately he is going to be busy doing christmas things so there we go uh boys 
thank y'all. And uh, for the listeners, thank y'all as well. Uh, seriously, if you are in need of criminal defense, go check out Jesse Bousquet's uh, law firm. Uh, he is a legit criminal defense attorney at a federal level and at a state level. So, um, you know, whether it's a, a DUI, you get busted with a little bit of weed and it's, a, a, you know, something ridiculous. You got someone that that is on our side and that will be on your side as well. It's a legit thing. If you don't have an attorney, I highly recommend you get one. And go check out Jesse because he's one of us. For those of you that are patrons, uh, we are going to head right now to go pick the title of today's show. So if uh, you'd like to be a part of the continuing dialogue that occurs before and after the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash burn and return. Thank you to all of our associate producers that allow us to continue to produce this content without the links in the description below. We'll catch y'all on the next one.